Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. We're going to go ahead and get started. My name is Sharon Skinner. I write speculative fiction for all ages, picture book up through adult, uh, mostly fantasy, science fiction, a little bit of steampunk and paranormal. I'm also a book coach on the side, and editor, and I'm uh, the regional advisor for the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators here in Arizona. So if you're writing for kids, come see me and get more information about SCBWI. Hey y'all, I'm Beth Dobner. I write paranormal fiction and nonfiction. Uh, my current series is the Eternal Rest and Bed and Breakfast Paranormal Cozy Mysteries. I tell people it's like murder she wrote, but with ghosts in it. Um, and I do have, if you guys are interested afterwards, you can come up here. I've got bookmarks as well as funeral home fans. Um, I've got a funeral home in the book series, and the fan said, well, if you're going to have a funeral home, you got to be able to fan yourself at the funeral, so. My name is Ashley Leontes. I'm currently working on my first series, Plague Doc, Inc. It is an occult psychological thriller series where magic causes madness. Um, yeah, uh, so this is fantastic to be back here in Tuscan again. This is my second year attending, and I hope to have book two out sometime next year. Do you want to start? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll say, um, I guess the first question for all of us to talk about is um, how, uh, talk about the women in your books. I mean, do you tend to have female protagonists? Do they tend to be um, the focus of your books? And kind of give us an idea of what you are used to working with. So for my young adult, uh, middle grade, and more adult work, it's, I always have strong female heroes. Uh, in my middle grade, um, I also have, sometimes I have co-protagonists, so I'll have boy-girl co-protagonists, but I always write very strong female characters, uh, willful, if you will. I have uh, my collars and curses. That character is the teenager I want to have been growing up. I you know, she's all snark all the time, and she's just smart, and she's, you know, and she's willful, and, uh, and she figures things out badly at first, but she figures things out. And she, she's the character I want to have been uh, growing up. So I'm all about strong female characters and having them as protagonists in my book. And I say that some of that is driven by the fact that one of the is- issues that I tend to write about, apparently, after about, you know, fourth or fifth novel was out, I realized I write a lot about mother-daughter relationships. I wonder why. Um, yeah, you haven't met my mother. Um, but uh, yeah, so so I'm uh, very much in that boat. 
Um, well, you, you want to? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I have a uh, duo for protagonists, a gender question mark plague doctor and a female who is their maintainer, I guess you could say. And she's definitely in the time frame, you know, females would be prim and proper if you are of a certain status, which she likes to... She, she likes to pretend that she is that status. She wants to achieve that status. So when she's in front of the people of, oh, you are someone important, here's my dignified face, and then turn around, Plague Doctor, what did you do? I, that was very stupid of you, and, you know, she's definitely got two sides upon her face, and she's definitely, you know, immature at times, but at the same time, she's got that strong will to have to deal with things because she's in a dynamic duo situation where people don't like her partner because they are viewed as a outcast sort of situation. So she's got to try to balance these two, these multiple different sort of roles and positions while still trying to maintain that sense of femininity that she wants to obtain. Gee, that's so realistic. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I would say I also focus on female protagonists, um, though I, I do like kind of having that ensemble cast, you know, where there are a number of, of people whose stories we're following. Um, and I realize that as I get older, my protagonists are getting older along with me. Um, if any of you are fans of the paranormal women's fiction genre, I love that genre because it focuses on like middle-aged women who are, you know, getting introduced to kind of kind of really starting to live their lives. And um, and so every heroine I have is a little bit older. My first one was in her twenties. Um, my character in this book, she's in her mid-30s, and I, my new series coming out next year is in her early 40s. So I, I guess uh, when I'm 85, I will be writing stories about 85-year-old women. So we're just gonna we're just gonna keep aging together, me and my heroines. Yeah, it's gonna write something to aspire to. I think one of the most tragic things I had to deal with growing up was going like, there's no cool stories about you know, uh, you know, 14-year-old. Uh, sorry. Past the age of 14 to 18, nothing cool happens to females. And that's when their lives is over for any sort of kind of adventure and sort of majesty. And I want that. And I'm a sad little child right now because once I grow up, it's over. Any chance of like some sort of magical portal door to Wonderland is just completely gone. I, I will say that when it comes to writing realistic women, I do think that the older we get, the more badass we become. <laughs> just because you stop caring so much what other people think and... I think we own think ourselves. Yeah, I think we tend to own ourselves more as we age, uh, mm -hmm. and 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 embrace it, right? But um, I do. A lot of my characters are dealing with trying to figure out who they are. So, especially in the young adult uh, novels, the middle grade novels, it's trying to figure out where you fit. In YA, it's trying to figure out who you really are and want to be in the world. And I think that it's that exploration that appeals to me and I struggled with that because oh awkward child big surprise but I struggled with that a lot when I was younger and so I'm going back and exploring a lot of that kind of turmoil the you know in colors and curses the protagonist is a literally uh, genetically a shapeshifter so she not only Figuratively, doesn't fit in her own skin as a teenager. She literally doesn't fit in her own skin at the beginning. Of the book, so. Well, this panel is called "How to Write," you know, realistic woman. I think one of the best ways you can start with is covering some of the major do nots we see that's sort of become trope. Something we can touch on, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
know you had one ready to go. Oh yeah, my I I hate having a protagonist, a woman, well any character really. Um, this isn't just about gender, but I think it happens more often with female characters. Um, I hate it when they're too perfect. You know, I don't want that Mary Sue character who can do no wrong and is always perfect and never makes any mistakes and doesn't have any personality flaws um, because we're just not like that. None of us are like that. And I think that a character who is too perfect is not only unrealistic, but they're boring too because they become very predictable. You always kind of know what they're going to do. You know how they're going to react in any given situation. And I think it's much more fun to have a character who can be uh, maybe a little bit of a hothead sometimes, or maybe they blurt things out. It's always the wrong thing at the wrong time. Or maybe they um, will sometimes just get a wild hair and do something you're not expecting. And that's, as an author, that's really fun um, to go, oh, oh, is that what you're going to do? Okay, let's see where this goes. Um, so I think not only is it more realistic, but it's also just a lot more fun creatively. I also think it's been hard to relate to them too, especially if you have to go through any sort of like traumatic sort of really big sort of moral dilemma or just any sort of like past things that came over them. If they're perfect, it's because, you know, oh, I've gotten over my trauma. It's sort of difficult to relate to somebody to where you can actually see a person struggle and you can sort of use that to sort of guide you along the way. If someone's perfect, even after they've gone through something horrific, it makes it seem that what they happened never really was significant. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't leave any room for character arc and character. Everything I write is very character driven, and I like a really solid character arc in my books. I know if you're writing series that the the book will have an arc and the character arc is much much longer for series than it is for a standalone, say, or a you know, a duology or something, but I think that you've got to leave room for that growth, for that character arc, and if they're too perfect starting out, then what's the point? I, I always equate it to, um, <coughs> for readers, get it, you know, picking up a book is like going on a road trip with someone, and who do you want to get in the car with? Do you want to get in the car with somebody who's really boring? <laughs> or, or somebody who's always right. Or Yeah, or somebody who's always right. <laughs> that you can't, again, back to what you said, relate to. Right? We want characters who are accessible and relatable, and who among us is perfect? Raise your hand, because, yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. We got, okay. All right. There's a, a bold, bold, bold statement, statement there. <laughs> um, but we're multifaceted people, and women are people first. People, we're women, we're, we're all people, right? And, and I think we start to, we've had a lot of conversations over the years that I've taken part in about writing realistic women and writing realistic characters and all of that. And I think we're coming to a place where I think most of us, hopefully, have, have come to understand that we're not stereotypical, we're not all the same, we have differences, we're flawed, we want to see characters we can relate to, and that's the kind of characters I'm most interested in writing. I think the biggest thing that I really hate is having it so that the person's gender is their trope. It could be male, female, or anything else, but if the one main factor that defines character is, I've got boobs. Um, you know, last I checked, we don't really get to choose our gender at birth. I mean, society will, of course, will say this is how someone of such and so gender should behave, but we don't have to abide by that, and as writers, you get to come up with whatever sort of gender, so social norms you got going on, and so 
your person should be able to be any gender really and still have them be a good character if you take away the fact that again I have boobs and then they just have nothing left to them then you haven't really developed an actual real good strong character because again now that we're at this point to where you could be whatever gender you want to be and it doesn't quite matter because it's who you are that really matters and I think one of the things that goes along with that is that um, she's a woman in a man's world is lazy it's lazy writing it's easy it's been there and you know what have, have somebody be a high person in the army and their gender the fact that she's female nobody cares nobody notices you know except that you call ma'am instead of sir definitely in situations like that where you know you have to work with a group because you got a common goal upon mind I mean, the only time when you care about what a person's physical capabilities are is can you lift this 500 pound thing with me and two other people you can't okay then I need you to go off to the side it's not a matter upon you know what gender they are it's just a matter of you know physical capability at that point yeah and I, and I think like, like to your point and also to yours if you were to write a list of the defining characteristics of your character the gender shouldn't be on the list. It's it's not. It's about their personality. It's about what they're facing. It's about how they're dealing with the things that they're facing. I think far more important. Um, but that goes for you know any character that you have. I think that personality and that personality needs to shine through. And I think one thing that that we do unfortunately see oftentimes in fiction is where if there are multiple female characters. Uh, sometimes authors will kind of make them all very similar um, and there's not as much of a personality difference and I think you have to have that distinction that, that they're all different. I think a fantastic example of someone who actually did that really well was actually Jane Austen. Mm -hmm. I mean if you take a look at, I have no four of her books, I haven't read all of them, but um, let's see, Pride and Prejudice, uh, Mansfield Park, um, uh, Emma, and uh, Northanger Abbey. Four, uh, three out of those four females were actually very smart, very clever, but they were all different in how they did that. And only one of them was a little bit ditzy, but that's just because of how she grew up and it wasn't anything based on her. And she was able to at least learn that she was, oh, I made silly assumptions about things, let's try to grow from this. Well, I think it matters the genre that you're writing into. If you're writing historical fiction, it matters. It matters whether the female characters are adhering to the constraints of the period and or fighting against them and how that conflict, uh, if they are, and, and whether there's internal conflict, even for the ones like your character, you said, tries to be two different people in different settings. And I think we we all do that to some extent. I mean, when I was, especially when I was a teen, well, when I was in the Navy, I, you know, when I was among sailors, I spoke like a sailor. When I was, uh, you know, riding motorcycles, I spoke like a motorcyclist or a biker. And when I would, when I'm at doing professional work, I speak as a professional. I am multiple. We are multitudes. All of us are multitudes within uh, ourselves. And your characters, our characters, should be as well. But I do think that genre matters. Uh, women's fiction being. Um, by the way, does, does everybody know that women's fiction is going away as a um, as a category? Did you hear this? No. I'm actually rather glad to hear that. It sort of oh, makes yes. it a bit more gender quality. Yes, I don't know what they're going to call it yet. They're toying with a couple of things, but um, more social, it'll be more social focused, you know, but they're going to stop calling it women's fiction. At least that's the discussion online now. Yes. Can you define who they are? 
Well, the discussion online of uh, agents, editors, and uh, booksellers right now is talking about getting rid of the, because of the problematic component of the label, whereas men do write in that genre, and but there's this assumption that it's only written by women and it's only for women and that's not the case. It's more about the characters and the situation and the social settings. So they are having this big conversation about that. Just the same as when we slice and dice genre, we're slicing and dicing so people understand what they're getting. You know, so it's like, are you gonna get a nougat or are you gonna get a, a cream based or are you gonna get a raspberry when you pick out your chocolates? We're just trying to help people understand what they're going to get in the book, right? So there's now a move to, um, there's an interesting discussion about curio fantasy becoming a thing. Curio speculative fiction, I'm sorry, not curio. Well, as a subcategory of fantasy, curio fiction. Uh, so, so labels become all these different things, but the one that stands out to me right now in all that discussion online and what everybody's talking about is the women's fiction category because um, I can't source it from off the top of my head, but if you reach out to me, I can get it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I'll come up after and I'll give you my card and you can reach out to me. But I think I got us off track. I'm so sorry. Um, the point. Yeah. Go ahead. So, so uh, you mentioned curio fiction. What is that? Curio fiction. The idea behind it is is that curio fiction doesn't uh, curio fantasy doesn't fit in your your standard fantasy um, categories anymore or genre slice and dices, if you will. Because I don't like to say category because that to me denotes age range. But um, it's everything is pretty much basically real world. But there's one weird odd thing that's happened. Like there's a cabinet or the Midnight Library is a really good example of what people are calling curio fantasy now. It used to be magical realism. But the, but that's now shifted to be, yeah. To, to contain some sociopolitical um, ideas that aren't quite fitting this up, yeah. So, you're right. So nice. it's, just about, it's just about, again, being able to give people an idea of where to pick off the shelf. To get it also becomes essential not essential, but important to online sellers because that's how the search engines work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious, um, I, I want to know from YouTube, but also some of y'all, who are some of the fictional women characters who you feel like are a great example of being very realistic? And like you mentioned Jane Austen's characters, like are there any specifics that come to mind that you're like, yeah, like this is, this is an author doing it right? Well, <laughs> it's satire and it's, not as realistic as uh, you might want for what you're talking about. But I think um, Libba Bray's Beauty Queens does an ex exceptional job of giving us a variety of very real personalities as women. And uh, I think she did a much better job with that than she did with A Great and Terrible Beauty because with but then that was historical fiction and she was trying to keep her character in the constraints of that um, historical social setting and have her fight against it. And I just felt like she prolonged the naivete a bit too long for me, just as a reader. 
but uh, I think she does a great job of uh, realistic uh, females and Holly Black. I think Holly Black does an amazing job with uh, her female characters as well. Those would be the top two off of my head. Uh, I recently found the Honor Harrington uh, book series, and I just finished um, uh, For the Queen's Honor. And in that one, uh, Honor Harrington, who is female within the Marines, sorry, within the Navy, uh, goes to what could be equated to like a sort of Mormon-ish ideology, you know, uh, system, a solar system area. And she's actually sort of having to be confronted for the first time that people are treating me differently because I'm a female, where previously it didn't matter uh, what gender you were, so long as you had the rank, skills, and capability, and also in her case, you know, family prestige, ties, and connections, but that was less so based on capability. And it was interesting seeing someone who, while physically due to, you know, just natural born traits, is actually really strong, really powerful, and has a good general sense of herself when it comes to her skills and capability, when it comes to herself as a person, she isn't actually all that confident. And then this coming to this new place where people, you know, judge her based upon because of what her gender is. And it just sort of is interesting to see that how it actually absolutely shatters her confidence even as someone within the, the Navy. I think for me, I, I'm currently obsessed with a series called um, The Emmy Rose Paranormal Mysteries. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the author's name, um, which is killing me. I'm sitting here trying to think, like, what's the name? What's the name? Um, but it, the the premise is it, it begins with uh, Emmy comes home to her childhood home. Her parents have died, and she's been tasked with cleaning out the house. And it's a house where she went through a lot of scary, kind of traumatic experiences as a child. And so she's having to unpack all of that, you know, all of these memories and all of these experiences and the that trauma that she's still carrying with her, as well as grieving, you know, the loss of of her parents. Um, and I just feel like. The author deals with it in such a wonderfully realistic way, and like her emotions are are re realistically depicted without being um, overblown. It doesn't get overly dramatic. It's very nuanced, and so I'm. And the mystery aspect of the books is outstanding as well. It's just a really, really well done characterization. Have you seen the um, the first book? Is etiquette and espionage? Uh, Gail Carrick. Yes, I love her work. And there. A finishing school where you women are learning to be spies and assassins, but it's through the traditional women's thing. So at one point, I think in the third book, our heroine learns how to fight with a fan that's got razor blades in it in full ball gown, including corset. And I love that. I love that she just leaned into it. Yeah. Yeah, she does great characters. Did you guys catch the name of that series? What's up? What was the name of the series? The Emmy Rose Paranormal Mysteries. E-M-M-I-E. -E. How about you guys? Is there like a particular uh, um, character that you feel like is very realistically written in, in, a, in a book or a series? I, I do want to say um, a man who has written a very, very real, very good character would be Matt Hagg for the Midnight Library. Nora Seed in that book is exceptionally well drawn. Um, but she's also dealing with depression and a uh, multitude of other things, and, and he gets it really right. He gets it really right. So I think we can all write real people, despite the gender of whom we are and or who the characters are, if we focus on them being real people. How do you handle 
as an author, putting your characters in situations where maybe you've never been in that situation yourself and trying to make it seem realistic? Well, you know, they say write what you know, but (laughs) one of my favorite sayings is write what you feel. And I believe that what makes characters really accessible is the emotion on the page and the ability to empathize. And I feel, and be, you know, characters who are relatable. And so for me, I don't, I've never ridden a dragon. I don't know what that's like. It's not something I know, but I know what it would feel like for me. I know. I can just know what that would be. It would be terrifying and incredibly thrilling and, and all of those things all at the same time. So for me, it's all about right what you feel. And you know, if you feel it and the characters are expressing it and you're not telling people, you're showing right? those components of the story. Those are not summary, those are in scene. And then the reader will get it. And the reader will, you know, tears in the writer, tears in the reader. I think sometimes we also have to look towards the life as well. There are things you don't quite know. I mean, people are fantastic sources of study. Just be able to see the different kinds of personalities that are around you. Like sometimes you meet people who you just never really thought would have ever existed because they're just so awesome, or there's because like, really, huh? And yeah, I, I've definitely taken a couple people who I have had the pleasure and sometimes this pleasure of meeting, and I will definitely use them as a baseline to sort of help me get through characters that I personally would never behave in such a way, but this is real life and I sort of wanted to pick that where I can. To, to make that even worse, I have a mug that says, um, please do not annoy the writer, she may kill you, and or put you in a book and kill you, <laughs> not the opposite way around. <laughs> but I have used, I had, you know, because in Paranormal Cozy Mysteries, you never want the murder victim to be somebody that you like, it always needs to be somebody you're like, yeah, they got what was coming to them. So I've used real, real life influences as like oh, we're going to inject some of those personality traits into this person. <laughs> well, and I think as we get older, and you were talking a little bit about you know the maturity of the writer and the maturity of your characters, and I think we get exposed to even more people. We yes. do a lot more opportunity for that, a lot more things, a lot more experiences, and a lot more people. And of course, if you don't know do your homework, do your research. If you haven't sat around the table or had a conversation with the type of character that you are trying to write, then you should probably go out and spend time with people like that or find people who can help you understand the types of characters you're trying to write. We don't want to write stereotypical characters. Those are not real people. We want to people, I want to people my books, I assume you do too, with realistic characters and the only way to do that is to stay away from stereotypes. And that brings us back to, I think we're getting away from, uh, we are starting to see a movement away from that. You mentioned earlier um, that we're, you know, I think it was maybe it was you who mentioned it, that uh, you want to see more stories where people just exist. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that, where it's not a, especially if you start reading Kidlet, if you read Kidlet, especially middle grade and YA, one of the trends that we're seeing now is we're moving away from issue books, where it's about my gender transition, or it's about my race, or it's about my culture, it's about my being an immigrant, or it's about, there, there are still those books, but those are not, 
the majority of what's being published right now, the diversity of the writers and the diversity of the types of wonderful fiction and fantasy that we're getting is so broad, and, but we're getting away from the issue books so that people just exist. Real people in, in, the, in these wonderful books doing real things just because they're Tamara Pierce, a middle grade writer, middle grade young adult, and her first book series, The Song of the Lioness, who our protagonist disguised herself as a boy, went, became a knight, she had red hair and purple eyes, and magic. And when she was writing, that was the thing. And she went back later and she did, she redid the series with the young woman, now that, that women have proven that they can do this, here's the young woman who goes through and doesn't disguise herself as a boy. And that is really fun to kind of see where, how she's grown as a writer and how um, kids' literature is changing. Well, all literature, I think, to your point, but I think across the board we're seeing a lot more of that, which is really exciting. And I think that the, um, the publishing industry is finally changing and embracing diversity, not as rapidly as maybe we would like, uh, but it's happening. And we're seeing a lot more publishers who want to publish books by, you know, everyone, for everyone that reflect who we are as a culture and a species rather than focusing on just a certain type of writer and a certain type of book. And that's a very exciting place to be in the world right now. Well, uh, now we've talked about some of the do-nots. Do we want to cover some of the things we can do to help make characters a bit more real? I mean, some of the things we did talk about before was like their culture and whatnot. And I think culture is something that we should always try to remember about what's going on with our character because that can help us identify what is the stereotypical norms for everybody within that world and where the deviance is and where you can make those deviances to make your character a bit more interesting that makes them stand out from the crowd which makes them the hero of the story versus the person next door to them. One of the things that I did in The Healer's Legacy, which is my, tril my trilogy, my fantasy trilogy, uh, it's about a young woman. The first book is about a young woman escaping from the local warlord. He's chasing her with an entire army of mercenaries. Her only edge is that she can telepathically communicate with animals. That's my fantasy component to it. Uh, so she's traveling with a large cat and a miniature dragon. Well, in the first book, she's in a patriarchal, patriarchal norm social setting, but she's fighting against that norm, norming. So she is um, dealing with those kinds of issues. In the second book, Center to another place where the culture is different, and it's a very maternally driven. Um, uh, it's women centric. It's uh, the governance is all maternal, and all of that. And I, what I was exploring by the third book was the push pull of the challenges in each extreme and the need for balance. I think in in our in our cultures. Uh, and, I, and I think the, the biggest reason that it, uh, I wanted to explore that is because I grew up in a very patriarchal norm social setting and I was a tomboy, because back then we said that, that was a word that we actually used to talk about 
girls who were good at baseball, really good at baseball, climbed trees, did, you know. I had four brothers too, you know, and we were all very competitive, but I, I think that one of the things that I wanted to explore was what would it look like on the other side of that, and my discovery was that, you know, imbalance is imbalance, mm -hmm. right? And, it, and I really think that I'm more of a humanist than a sense, uh, feminist, I, I, because I'm very, I believe that we're all people first and all that other stuff is later, you know? So, I don't know if that answers the question. I think I went off on a tangent. That happens this time of day for me. That's fine. <laughs> well, you were talking about um, diversity earlier, and I think that that is something that more and more authors are starting to really get right, where, um, you know, we are seeing much more diverse casts. It's not just, um, you know, straight women and men in, in these books, we're getting much more diverse characters, and I think that is something that's being done right, that we're seeing that shift where, you know, and that's where I was going. So uh, one of the reviews that I got on my second book in that series was uh, a comment from a reader who said, not only did I need to read this book because it's a good book, but I also needed to read this book because there's a same-sex couple in it, and they just happen to exist in the world, and it's just, they're there. Like, they are everywhere, right? Like, they are in our world. Mm -hmm. And without calling attention to it, without calling it out, and they're integral to the story. They're important characters. They're not. I wouldn't stereotype. They're not stereotyped at all, and they just are people in a relationship. And so I think I got that one right. So realistic women. They're. It's a female couple. Is it? Questions. Publishers shifting gears. Are publishers shifting with the attitude? Yeah, I, more humanistic. I think we're seeing so, that, yeah. yeah. Don't you? And, and that goes back to what happens in KidLit will happen in the rest of the publishing industry. It tends to happen in KidLit a little bit earlier in the curve for some reason. Not, I don't, don't ask me why, I don't know, if there's no science behind it. We just, being somebody who writes across categories, I've, I've watched this for years that we see those shifts happening. And I will say that in KidLit, we're looking for both mirror books where we kids get to see themselves reflected no matter who they are, and uh, window books where we kids get to see other kids just being in the world so that they get that experience as well. And that's been a push for a number of years in the KidLit industry, and that is, is happening. Again, not as fast as some of us might wish, it's a big shift, a little hard to turn quickly, but we are seeing that, and I think that um, now that you're starting to see uh, more fantasy authors from uh, all sorts of diverse backgrounds, um, who is it, Lynn Chupico, who wrote, um, uh, I'll think of it, uh, but she's writing series, and uh, uh, N.K. Jemison, who's writing wonderful fantasies, uh, you're starting to see a lot more diversity out in the adult uh, realm as well. So, uh, and so publishers are working on it. It's just they're slow to change. Yeah, any kind of change. I think the publishing industry tends to be very slow and very cautious. Along those lines, are you seeing indie publishing kind of leading uh, traditional and pulling trail along? I'm going to say yes, uh, I think so, because I think that 
certainly publishers are taking note of the explosion of indie authors and how how popular those books are now. And I think one of the reasons they are popular is because they are willing to go outside um, kind of the standard tropes and the standard genres that we've been seeing. Um, I mean, I, I started out writing paranormal romance and I don't think my series even qualifies anymore as paranormal romance because that genre has changed so much. I mean, the current trend is what they call reverse harem, mm -hmm. where the lady has the stable yeah. of men. Um, so I, there are a lot of indie authors who are pushing the envelope because they can, because there's nobody saying, oh, oh no, nobody's going to read that. And it turns out there are plenty of readers out there for these things that are really pushing the boundaries of what can be popular and, and what can be um, sellable. So yeah, I think certainly publishers are taking note of that. The main difference is that if an indie uh, publisher fails, it's just you know, one book. It's it's not the big expense that it would be to a big publishing sort of company if they were to put their time gamble on that sort of situation and to have a flop and then that can mean the entire company goes down. I'm not saying that the downfall is more or less upon the one side, but because those big companies have to think about being able to maintain a sort of status quo of income, they have to be slower because they don't want to end go, uh, going under, and so they let all the indie publishers be the little guinea pigs. Um, but I will say, based on the court case recently, where um, the, was, uh, was it uh, Penguin Random House and um, was it Simon and Schuster? They were trying to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the outcome of that, and we heard a lot in court about um, some of their arguments about that and why they're not paying authors what they deserve. And really, you know, it was all a lot of smoke and mirrors on their side as far as I'm concerned, because what it really comes down to is they have, um, they have shareholders. And the bottom line is always money, especially with the bigger, bigger presses. And right now, um, there's still the big fives, so we're still at five. We used to have, um, what, six? This is a big five now. They were trying to be four. And uh, the market share is huge. Uh, so what you're talking about, they, but they roll up. You know, Times Warner owns a big chunk of that, and Disney owns a big chunk of that. And when you start to look at it, it really comes down to that bottom line of money, and they don't want to take a risk uh, back to what you were saying, they, it's not even that you know that they would fail. They just wouldn't have the money to dole out at the level that they do, and so they, they won't take as big a risk. And you have indies um, in the the publishing landscape is so wide open. You've got hybrid. You've got uh, small small traditional presses that are willing to open themselves up and take a risk on things that. You know, hey, it's we're small. We can take us a risk. You know that sort of thing. And you've got people who are independently publishing really good books. Smart people. Some people are still publishing not so good books, but um, the the really smart people are publishing really good books. They're they're getting well edited. They're getting good covers. They're getting people to help them format them, um, or they're having really good good beta readers. Or you know they have the kind of support network that, and you don't get that even at the big publishers anymore, you don't get editors who edit. They really, agents don't edit like they used to. Editors don't help your career like they used to do at the big houses for the most part. There are a few, uh, including uh, Levine Carrito, uh, he'll, he'll career drive somebody, but it's only if he thinks that, you know, 
there's somebody he really wants to career drive. So it really depends on um, who you're with. But I do think that this whole publishing landscape, the change in it, is, is, has really helped drive the positive changes that we're seeing. Yeah, I think we, we certainly are seeing an example set for what is possible in, in terms of diversity and, and interesting new stories and new voices that we can that we And can structure, new structure. People are exploring structure. Like, when we're getting structure from a translated books now, that structure that we as Westerners haven't been exposed to before, but we are now becoming exposed to and, and coming to appreciate in a way that, you know, the old, it's got to be a three-act structure, or it's got to be, you know, we, we're not held to that anymore. And it's, it's a pretty exciting time to be a writer. And a reader. And a reader, absolutely. Were there any topics anybody here in the audience came here they want to sort of bring up as a point of discussion? So, um, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. So one of the people I follow on YouTube, she she writes on the side, but she also does, she's very genre savvy and she does trope deconstructions and like it goes into history on it and stuff. But she, in her strong female characters video, she talked about how when she first started writing, she only ever wrote like one female character in the first story, and she found it really generic and hard to write females. And I thought it was really weird because she's a female, she's very genre savvy, I'm very genre savvy, I am also a female, and I didn't understand how writing a female being a female could be hard and is that something you guys have ever come across or heard of other people having trouble writing not even necessarily strong female but like actual like legitimate female characters believable females Erin McCaffrey um, I read an interview with her back in the day and she said that um, she would write real women and yet, when she would turn her books in, they would be mad at her because that's not what women are like. Yeah. You know, that, that for the fantasy audience that was presumed to be mostly, you know, guys that like big boobs, um, her original, as written, female characters didn't work. And so here was a woman being told that, that her women weren't womanly. And, and, and the other piece to that, too, is that, again, going back to the fact that we're all people first and we're all multifaceted, and you are different than I am. Right, and right. you are different than I am, and you are different than I am. And you sit up, you look at us up here, and you can see that there are some major differences just in how we present in the world. Not only how we speak, and how we walk, and how we talk, and, and who we are, but our internal experience is what makes us who we are. If you're interested in thinking about um, or digging more into like the science behind uh, character development and Story Genius uh, by Lisa Cron is a really, really good book. It talks about uh, figuring out your, uh, your character's misperceptions. And I think that maybe what this person was dealing with, and I don't know the article and I don't know the person, but was that, that challenge of trying to make the character too perfect or not being able to make them imperfect enough uh, or, or not having the confidence to write from herself into the story. 
you repeat that title? Uh, Story Genius by Lisa Cron, C-R-O-N. She's got a really good TED talk about it, and she also wrote um, another book about uh, the science behind, um, the brain science behind writing and reading, uh, but I can't pull that up right now. Uh, this is just me spitballing, but something that could potentially be intimidating for someone who is writing a female and who is female is the fact that they could feel as though I am representing what females are actually like, and what they set down could actually set the general opinion for other people as to what all females are supposed to be like, and that's pretty intimidating if you think about it. If what I say becomes someone's law and truth on how something is supposed to be, and if I give them even one sort of character trait that seems wrong, that might color their entire opinion about the entire group of people. Yeah, I would kind of echo that, that, that I think sometimes people struggle with, they're trying to put a female character into a certain expectation, into a certain box, um, and that's where they struggle, is making them realistic, but also trying to, you know, kind of hit a checklist of, well, you know, this it's this genre, she's supposed to be this kind of woman, and that's where the struggle happens. Um, and I had something after that, and it just totally right out of my brain. Um, oh, I was going to say, it, it, for a writer, I think one of the absolute best ways to learn how to um, get those realistic characters very easily is writing short stories. Because you don't have a lot of time to develop them. You have to kind of make them jump off the page immediately, and it's a great exercise to learn how to do character development. Do we have a question back there? I don't want to be provocative, but um, I just read this book, Project Tech Papers, on the role of the father, role of the father, and so when they go through maternal characters, paternal characteristics, blah, blah, blah. And the abject lies, there's no difference, okay? So that people are kind of what you said, so, so if I want to write a female character, am I limited to the fact that she can't be just as nasty as the guy? Oh, no, no, not at all. There's, why, why there's a character in my, in my first, uh, first book in the Healer's Legacy Trilogy that people love to come up to me and say, I hated that moment. And I'm like, <laughs> good, because I did too. And she's a conglomerate of a lot of those personalities that I've not liked in certain individuals, like you said. And I'm not going to tell you if I kill her or not. Um, so why, put people in your book and kill her. So why, so why do we have to say how to write realistic women? Well, and that's a really good question, and, I, and I, I saw the title of this and I thought to myself, you know, we need to write realistic characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, we're moving out of the era where we had to get up here and explain to people, there was a time, that where, where I felt that as a woman and as a writer, I needed to get up and explain to people, yeah, see, that's not who I am. That's, you know, I mean, I was on the first ship that took women to sea in the United States Navy. I used to ride a Harley, my own. I used to work on my own. But I am still also very capable of being frilly and uh, wearing my jewelry. And you know, because I'm a person, I, you know, I'm very multifaceted. So when you say there's no difference, I wouldn't say that there's no difference. But I, what I will say is that um, you can have a male character who's very nurturing and a female character who's very powerful and strong and doesn't know how to open up. It, they're people. Um, two, I'm really
things. One, I, I think one thing to keep in mind in general is that although there are on average differences between men and women, the differences among tend to be greater than the differences between. And the completely unrelated thing, I've, I've been watching like YouTube videos of, of people mocking men writing women badly. And one thing that, that seems to come up a lot is like guys who, who, who seem to be unable to describe women without describing their breasts. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know what, there's there's literature out there, there are books out there for pretty much everybody, right? Anybody hear of dino porn? Oh yeah. Yes. I haven't read it, just to clarify, but I've heard it. But it's real. You know, my point being there's 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 books out there for everybody. And you've now got romance writers writing reverse harem books and you know, things like that. I mean who am I to say that the books that you enjoy are are wrong? I, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to write the books that I write, and I and I and that that are um, the kinds of books that I want to read and have in the world. But uh, you know, if you you know, if there are guys out there who still want to read stuff about women with big boobs, that's none of my business. But women like tall guys, right? Well, you know what? That's what I'm saying. I, and reverse harems, apparently. So. Well, I, this is interesting because when I was in college, and, and I thought I was going to be a writer, and I turned out to be, but I started out thinking I would start out as a journalist, right? So I took a journalism 101 class. This was in the 90s. And they had us do an exercise. And it was more prevalent then than it is now. If you go and try to do this, you probably won't see this. But then it was very prevalent. They said, here's your exercise. Go look at the tabloids, go look at the news, go look at anything that talks about men versus women. And when they introduce the female versus the male in the story, they'll start out with age, what they were wearing, what they look like, and it was very, very common up until maybe 10 years ago. No, we still saw that really yeah. they could not stop talking about the suits. We still see it. Yeah. We still see it. And, and, and Right about women, still think about their Which brings us back to a lot of that is cultural, and a lot of it. So a lot of the storytelling that we are exposed to is based on the culture that we are in, and getting exposure to other cultures and seeing other diverse writers writing is really critically important so that we can hopefully push back against what continues to be, in my book, a culture in which, yeah, we're we're not we haven't seen enough change yet for the way that women are perceived in the world, especially when it comes to politics, power, and a number of other things. And this goes back to what you're talking about, Mina. Maybe um, so. I, I have worked for years in two very male-dominated uh, industries, and I mean, this is dating myself here, but I started in those in those industries. 25 years ago and I have seen a great deal of change and I think that the change that we're seeing in the real world is what we're seeing now reflected in the publishing world um, so I think there is a parallel there and, and things are getting better we're making improvements and um, you know like I said for my industries I've certainly when I started out there there was quite a bit more um, it was a lot tougher for women in those industries and now it's much much easier for them to get a foot in the door because people have kind of opened up oh 
ladies can do the same things and they can, you know, be Women are on too. subs now mm -hmm. and carriers in all the places. Mm -hmm. Yay. So. I do think we are within four, four minutes. minutes. Four? Yeah. Yes. Oh, sure. Are. Oh, you have a question over here? Um, so earlier you said, you know, what books may have we have been exposed to that we think got it right. And, um, uh, and instantly I couldn't think of anything. But then um, I have read, uh, I think, everything that Kelly Barnhill has written. And um, she has a talent for creating women that are very relatable in their, in their feelings and their values in a completely fictional world <laughs> that could never really exist. Mm -hmm. But the fact that everybody in her world is all of the characters, the whole cast are women. Then you have the evil, power-hungry one, and the good-hearted one, and the, the interactions between the old, between every generation from children and grandmother ages and parents. And I think that it's like really talented that she can make a totally fictional world, but really realistic women. Time for maybe one more question. Anybody? Nobody? In that case, I would say, why don't we get online and tell people where they can find you this weekend or online after? And so the panel tomorrow at, I think it's 11. Well, it's not a panel, it's me. It's me in conversation. So and we're going to talk about uh, characters, the good, the bad, and the unlikable. Uh, you can find me all over the internet. You can find me at SharonSkinner.com, bookcoachingbysharon.com. And I have two new books out this year, so buy my books. They're in the bookstore. Uh, this is for dark horror for adults. This is fun mashup of Peter Pan, Oliver Twist, and Steampunk. Uh, I'm Beth Dolbner. Uh, people struggle to spell my last name, so the easiest thing you can do is pick up a bookmark. <laughs> so you can go to bethdolbner.com. And then, like I said, if anybody wants a funeral home fan, just come grab one afterwards. My name is Hesher Leontes. Uh, you can find me on plaguedoginc.com as well as Hesher Leontes on Patreon. I will be at uh, When to Let It Go uh, tomorrow's panel. I think you'll be there too. I will. Yes. Um, I do have cards, maybe we like one, and I do have some books upstairs in the dealer's room uh, and the mostly book section. So if you'd like a copy, come find me. I'll be happy to sign it for you. Thanks for coming, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.